You're listening to the dollop, Dave. This is a David. Bye, Dave. This is a bye, Dave. I'm doing my intro, David. I'm like right in the David. middle. David, I'm. I came in hot, Dave. Great start, but I think we're. I think it's time. I don't know what that means. I think it's time Dave. for a pollock. I don't know. I think it's time for a what? reverse dollop, a pollock, pollock, dollop backwards, reverse dollop. So. Are you, are you kidding so, me? If I may, you're listening to the dollop. This is a bi weekly history podcast where each week I, Gareth Reynolds, comer of cats, massage drill gun owner. Oh my God. Push up doer reads a story. What? A two-part story from American history to my friend Dave Anthony, who does not know what the story is going to be about. Close, close. You're close. Nice try, Derry. Would you say something about push-ups? Yeah. What is that? What is that's not even a thing? Push-ups are a thing. Jack Lelaine, come on. No, but it's not a thing that you say. That, like that's that's not. Oh, you're you... really playing my part well, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think you should have told me this is a reverse dollop before I wrote a dollop? Hey, why do you always spring this? Why do you so, always spring this on me at the last second? How funny is it if we became so fake, like like that theatrical? Like I, to, I wrote a whole episode. Sorry, Dave. I'm jumping in again. I'm a wild card. <laughs> I could see it happening. Yeah. You know, we're that, <clears throat> we're that lame. Mm-hmm. And called it, quote, his jam pad. Jam pad? I'm the fucking hippo guy. Dave, okay. My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Gary. Wait. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tiggly Podcast. Okay. This is like Adam. And a five-part coefficient. <laughs> My room's a Now hit him with the puppy. You both present sick arguments. <laughs> no sleep tell hippo. No sleep tell hippo. Uh, action part. Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> Roder. Roder in the court. Hmm. Is October 22nd, 1920. Oh, my God. Look at you. You're all grown I'm up. Not, I'm nervous, mister. Timothy Francis Leary was born in Springfield, Massachusetts. Hmm. Wow. You ever heard of that? Tim's father. I have, but you know, I got to be honest. I got to be honest right away. Uh, This is a subject that I've never cared about, nor have I ever read about. Really? Because I worry there's going to be some stuff. Okay. Well, let's see. Let's see. That's great. No, no, no. It's probably super interesting. I'm just saying this is literally one of the things that I just don't pay attention to. Well, then sit back and keep your pants on. Okay. I'm going to sit back. Tim's father was a dentist nicknamed Tote. With a real penchant for drinking. Sorry. And um, for some reason, you have a question already? No, okay. No, no. Okay. Tote? Yep, tote. That's right. Like the bag. Um, so he had a penchant okay. for drinking. For, so for some reason, this resulted in a strained relationship with Tim. Dave, I don't know if you oh. would have any idea what that's like. but uh, uh, No, I don't know what your father drinking all the time it could have any sort of effect sure. on your love or your life. Right. That's what I was. That's the scab I wanted to pick. Um, so, so his dad was erratic, 
Like uh, during dinner, he would invite the dog onto the table to eat off the plates, or he would do that. Okay. Uh, he would do that table tablecloth yank trick. But instead of doing the trick where all the stuff would stay still, he would just ruin the meal and the dishes. Tote drank. Did he do this on more than one occasion? Well, yeah, clearly. Yes. yes, yes. Clearly, there are multiple okay. occasions. He's having the dog it's up. Gonna, yeah. it's, it's gonna work this time. I still got kids to watch. <laughs> that is the best time for an alakazam. Uh, so Tote drank so much, he sold all of his dental equipment for booze. Then, oh, and you know what that's going to hurt is the dental. It didn't affect the business. From what I read, the business was not affected by that decision. Uh, then on Christmas day in 1933, Tim's grandfather, who once told Tim, find your own way, be one of a kind died. And at the will reading, Tim was outside playing baseball alone, which (laughs) now that I read it does not sound like baseball. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's, that's totally just the kid with a ball. Um, so Tote came out. He gave Tim $100. He gave his mother, Abigail, $1,000. And then he said he had, quote, business in New York and left. Tim wouldn't see his father again for 23 what? years. At the funeral, he bailed? Yes, at, his, at, his, at his own father's funeral, he gave out $1,100 to his wife and child. And then he said, I got business in New York. And then that was it. Well, now that my dad's dead, there's no reason to stick around here, family. <laughs> yeah. I gotta go. Two dads are dying today. <laughs> you know, it'd be great for you right now. Another huge loss. Alakazam. Oh, God, he's alakazaming. Uh, Tim's mother was very religious. So in 1938, Tim went to study at Holy Cross. He hated it. He applied and got into West Point. There he was yelled at a lot, more than most. Tim had given the other cadets alcohol at one time, and he had lied about it, so he was asked to resign. He declined, and he was silenced, which is where you're completely ignored by fellow cadets. Completely. So they treat him like a ghost. After 10 months of this, he finally caved and resigned. Oh, my God. That's what they, that's what they do to good cops. Interesting. Well, there's a... And that's working out fantastically. So there's no issue there. Uh, So -hmm. next, Tim applied to every state school. He applied to the University of Alabama, which was the first one to accept him. So he went there. He found his first girlfriend named Betty Harlow, who Tim said, quote, love to fuck. He had. uh, Oh, so there you go. He had. uh, I got it. I got to be honest. I've had girlfriends. This is the best kind. (laughs) There you go. You should go to you should go there. Uh, So he had good grades, but he was expelled when he was caught sneaking into Betty's room for, quote, oral copulation, a.k.a. mouth fucking. Now, was he going to, was she going to, was he going to fuck her mouth or was he going to do some business with on I, her? Dave, I didn't, I wanted to get into that part, but it just, it's hard to find. It's hard to find. I, in my, can I tell I, you what I pictured? I mm-hmm. pictured, a, I pictured a trade. I pictured one of each. I pictured a okay. mouth to vag and then a mouth to peen. Medically. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then maybe you can sneak into another room and do a little mouth to ass. You, you got to go next door, though. You know how you know how these rooms are. Yeah. You've been to the University no, of Alabama, obviously. You know that they have yeah. the ass eating wing. That's and right. this is the That's oral right. copulation building. Excuse me, sir. You should not be eating ass in here, sir. Sorry, that's a that's a freshman right there. So I didn't notice a sign on the door. Well, you'll learn the campus Excuse layout me, in no time. Yeah, no, you'll see. Look, most people in here are oral copulating. <laughs> By the way, I'll catch Boy. you cop you later. Well, I got to get out of here. I'm the dean. <laughs> All righty, so I'm going to wipe this ass off my mouth and head over to the next Make building. Make sure it's the right one. 
so he uh, so he got kicked out. So uh, that made Tim eligible for the draft. But a case of bronchitis left him deaf in one ear, so he was able to avoid combat. What? Yeah. That's a thing. Yes. Yeah. This is because it doesn't. That doesn't sound like bronchitis. That sounds like a ear problem. But I mean, don't you think you could? In my head, what I picture is he coughed his ear out. But that's probably stupid. But it's like a yeah, blockage yeah. Oh. and like I don't know. But anyway, he yeah. coughed himself, so he was able to avoid combat through coughing, which is great. Uh, he got a job at a yeah. hospital for the deaf. There, he met Marianne Bush, with whom he experienced quote the most wondrous human pleasure: all out fucking for fusion, secure and safe in our very own bed. End quote. God, God bless him and her. Well, they were, and her name is perfect, Bush. Thank you, David. They were uh, married April fourteenth, nineteen forty-five. So when World War II oh. ended, there was a major need for clinical psychologists. So the government for funding poured in, which allowed Tim to enroll in the doctoral program at Berkeley. So Tim got his PhD and his master's from Washington State, and then he began publishing papers. And he also got his wife pregnant from so much fucking perfusion. And then on September 25th, yeah. 1947, Marianne gave birth to their first child, Susan. October 19th, 1949, they added a son named Jack. Okay, so you got a little family cooking, right? Yeah, it's all. This sounds like a. It just sounds like a wonderful, wonderful. Why is this two parts? Um. So Marianne was extremely disturbed by the threat of nuclear war. She lived in constant fear. So in 1952, when Tim Uh got a research grant, he moved the family to Spain. There, he would write papers, and hopefully, Marianne would feel a little less stressed. Then yeah. Why is there not gonna is nuclear war not gonna harm Spain? Like how dumb is how dumb is Marianne? Well, I mean, it's one of those things. You know, it's like, I don't you know, it's like I mean, it's like putting a blanket over a canary cage. If they believe it, why break it? Why shatter it? You know. Okay, so you're comparing a grown woman to a canary now. I'm comparing illusion that is <laughs> gender and specieless, sir. <laughs> Good lord. So <laughs> when uh, when they returned from Spain to the States, Tim was much more motivated than he was before. He wanted to make a name for himself, got to work on his first book. But Tim had some real tote in it when it came to alcohol. Tim drank heavily. Oh. He also began an affair with a married co-worker named Mary Chiapa, which is definitely how. Oh, my God. How hard was that? What? Mary, Mary. What? A no, Mary, 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 Mary. So you've got so I know, but Mary yeah. and Ma- it's still Mary and Mary. Well, it's still a I fucking think he was going. You, you not, if you're gonna have an affair, <laughs> you don't have it. Like if I'm gonna start another podcast, I'm not gonna start one with a guy named Gareth. Well, that's on the nose. I mean, that would be I. I would take some real. <laughs> even if it was Gary at this point, I feel like I have some sort of intellectual property over that. Uh, I would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're gonna. I, I, although it might be easier because you might just be like, you know, I had a great time fucking Mary the other night and Mary's like, yeah. And then you're like, oh, no, yeah, I met you. Or yeah, no, like when you're getting confronted, you're like, I love you, Mary. And duh, I want to have some coconut. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? That's right. <laughs> yes, Mary. Uh, so, uh, so, so this, the affair that Marianne found out about with Mary drove her mad. Tim encouraged her to play the field. Then on October 21st, 1955, the night before Tim's 35th birthday, Tim and Marianne had some martinis and went to a dinner party. When they came back, Mary was there to say happy birthday to Tim, which upset Marianne greatly. The next day, Tim woke up. Why? I'm not sure what her deal was. 
But uh, the next day, Tim woke she up. Sounds very uh, territorial. The next day, Tim woke up, smelled fumes, went down to the garage where he found Marianne what? dead behind the wheel of their running car. So, so she really, she was actually really upset. She was very, from by all readings, very depressed, and he was not very, you know, sensitive in any way to any of that. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, yeah. It, and, well, it's because alcoholics find Al-Anons to marry, yes. and they are all everyone's fault. Well, up. and he also went right back to work the next week. So there you go. Well, you know what? You got to get back on the I horse. Agree. Hurry up. Uh, how was the weekend, Tim? You're like, eh. Uh, so Tim was not a great father. He did lost one of lost one of the Marys. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so he didn't know how to raise the kids on his own. So he moved Mary in not long after Mary Ann's death. And he and Mary were married under a year later. Oh, my. Oh, wow. Wow. So, so he was never really into he was never really into the first one all that much. I, yeah, there uh, you'll see there's a pattern with Tim Leary and love. I feel like there was I feel like there was a little bit more to it than just the other Mary was there and she got upset. Like he might have been, you know. Yeah. Dropping some. I think hints. he definitely was. I mean, she, you know, she was like depressed and he was like hey play the field you know she was like cool thanks honey that's awesome he's like get out there there's a lot of single guys out there um so uh they were married under a year later and then by may of 1957 his new marriage with mary was already on shaky ground um see tim hadn't gotten all of his fucking by fusion out of his system he was still sleeping around on his new second wife so that same year tim yes Yes, he cheats. I mean, yeah. He cheats. He cheats. He's a cheater. You know, the, you got to know that going in. If you're cheating with a guy and he marries, he, and he's married, and then and then you become the new wife, odds are he's going to cheat on you too. I agree with that. And then I also never understand why people get married if they're like that. I just it never, I, I never get yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always just like, well, why do it? Yeah. I don't understand. I mean, I don't, I'm, it's not like yeah, I live in a never ending fear of the man who lives in the clouds and judges every one of our actions with his big, long gray beard. But still, I don't want to get everyone right? together to be like, yeah, for sure. Never. I love you so much. They'd be like, Hey, what's up? Yeah. Or, you know, or just, you know, you could talk about it ahead of time and go, look, I, I would like to do an open situation. I like to play baseball by myself. If you know what I'm saying? Look, uh, I grew up just outside of the ass-eating dorm in Alabama. <laughs> that was I, the oral copulation building. The demerit for you. Uh, so it came I to apologize. a peaceful end, which, considering how his first marriage ended, was a huge success. Now, Tim... Oh, this one didn't die. It's better. It's an upgrade. So Tim got his kids. He headed back to Spain on a boat with a stewardess that he'd met. But she left Tim soon after the arrival, possibly because he got horribly ill with an unknown disease that left him swollen and covered in blisters. And he... COVID. Yeah, it was COVID for sure. He recovered, but he felt, quote, boredom, black depressions, flashes of frantic, restless anxiety. He was lonely on Christmas Eve when he met, quote, a runaway prostitute from Valencia and, unquote, took her home. Quote, by New Year's, I had the clap, end quote. And yes, his kids were still with him. So what? Yep. So it's a good dad. So I just feel like the clap is a thing we shouldn't write about it. If we get it, we should just probably just, Oh, I let people know when I have it, I'm I'm walking around. I expect people to clap for my clap. 
Well, you put a sandwich board on and you cruise around. It just says, I've got the It glass. burns so bad, ringing a bell. Woo la la! <laughs> that spring, Tim took the children to Italy. There he bumped into an old graduate school classmate named Frank Barron, who would change Tim's life. Frank told Tim how, quote, his research had led him to Mexico, where he had interviewed a psychiatrist who had been producing visions and trances using the so-called magic mushrooms, end quote. He also introduced Tim to David McClelland, the director of the Center of Personality Research at Harvard. McClelland decided that Tim was, quote, just what we needed to shake things up at Harvard and, end quote, hired him. And boy, was he right. So he goes to Harvard, and at Harvard, Tim begins hanging out with Dick Alpert. Now, Dick was a well-liked, charming psych teacher with a nice pad. He had a Mercedes, he had a motorbike, and he had a Cessna plane that he was learning to fly, and he was already a success at 27. So the plane is when you know um, you're, like, crushing it. Yeah. Where you're like, yeah. Also, I have, yeah, a plane. You have a plane. I mean, you have yeah. all the things Batman has at that point. You're like, I got the bike, I got the car, I got the plane. <laughs> Need some kind of Just underwater vessel. for watching your parents. Yeah. Yes. So uh, in 1960, Tim went to Mexico. Now, on the trip, he kept thinking back to his conversation with Frank Barron and those magical mushrooms. At this point, Tim was a heavy drinker, heavy smoker, but he'd never tried drugs. Quote, I was a middle-aged... How, how, what age is he? He's, what, what age he's is he? like 38-ish, 38, yeah, okay. four, 38, 40, somewhere around there. Um, so he, at this point, Tim was a heavy drinker, smoker, but he'd never tried drugs. Quote, I was a middle-aged man caught in the middle-aged process of dying. My joy in life, my sensual openness, my creativity were all sliding downhill, end quote. So he went to San Pedro. He met a woman named Crazy Juana who had the mushrooms. Well, okay, right there. Uh, this is going to be an interesting story. In the process. If crazy, if crazy is at the beginning of your name, this, yeah. This is but it could be also be like nuts. the fat guy is named Tiny. She could be, I, she could be totally calm. Okay. I mean, she has access to the crazy okay. thing. So, no. uh, so she has the mushrooms. Yeah. Tim gets them, and he described the smell as, quote, forest damp, crumbling logs, and New England basement, end quote, which if you've ever – That's exactly super right. Super accurate description. Super accurate. Yeah. Uh, Tim asked if they were safe. She smiled and ate too. So I guess maybe the crazy That's... one. You might be right. <laughs> Are they safe? Well, watch me go fucking nuts in front <laughs> yeah. of you. Uh, now, mushrooms, or Psilocyba cubonesis, to botanists, had been around for a while. The Aztecs called them Teonanacatl, or Flesh of the Gods. But they were mostly unknown in Western culture until 1955, when Life magazine sent R. Gordon Watson and a photographer with a guide to the Mexiteco Mountains to find and eat the mushrooms. Okay, how... How great of an example of just how oblivious the white man is and uncaring and uncurious that that indigenous people are doing mushrooms for that long and you don't find out about it until 19 fucking 55. It actually it's Jesus Christ. It's the first thing you ask someone when you take over is what kind of drugs do you have? It it it, it really does. It, it does speak to completely like the way that, you know our Western culture does shit like where we're just, we're not, we don't give a fuck about nature. Whereas you have like, like people who actually, you know, want to preserve things and feel like they're part of a system. So again, eat mushrooms, everybody. But, uh, but so, so they, uh, so they go to the Mexico mountains, they find the mushrooms and they trip their balls off. And to your point, they were the first white men to ever do so. So 1955 for shut the fuck up. How is that possible? 1955. If I 
discovered, if I was one of the people discovered wrong word, if I was one of the people who, who, who came to America early on, I would have found mushrooms really early. I see, but you have to be, you can't just be eating wild mushrooms. You can't like. I did that in Florida with my cousin. When we, well, we tripped out. We found, Dave, you, let me tell you. If you know which ones to pick. As someone who knows nothing about anything, don't eat wild mushrooms. They vary. You have to go with you have to go with someone who knows. Yeah, that is a key part that you, you get, you get to America. Saying. You get to America, you meet some indigenous people, you go, so what are you guys holding? What do you guys got? That's the first question you should ask. Not is there corn Harry Holden. or, or hey. how are you guys surviving? First question hey, is, are you holding? Harry, what do you Harry Holden around here? Has anyone seen Harry Holden? Harry Holden? Anyone got eyes on Harry Holden? So uh, so he gets the mushrooms right, and he and a few, uh, few eager friends first eat the shrooms. They decide that two people will stay sober, um, one of them because she was pregnant, and the other, it was a man uh, known as Whiskers, who was prone to fits of nervous laughter. So they didn't so – okay. she didn't want to so take it, and then Whiskers, Whiskers right now – okay, so here, here, I just want to put a suggestion out there. Can we follow Whiskers for the rest of the story? I have story? really tough news, but let's let the process break out, but if – if you don't hear from Whiskers again, just know that you had a great moment with him. Jesus Christ, the guy's name's Whiskers. Now that story follows Whiskers. Sorry, buddy. So for Leary's maiden okay. trip, uh, it began with laughter of his own. Not Whiskers' laughter, but laughter of his own. Lots of it. Soon after the euphoria, Tim told the sober parties, quote, you may have six psychotic nuts on your hands. I think you should send the kids downtown to the movies and the maid too. Get her out of here. And for God's sakes, keep an eye on us. <laughs> And yes, his kids were still with him. Yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, Tim would later say of the trip, quote, it was the classic visionary voyage and I came back a changed man. You are never the same after you've had the veil drawn, end quote. Okay, so let, let's just stop right there and say that is 100% true. If you have never done mushrooms, you do not see the world the same way as people who have done mushrooms. I also think taking something like that when there's very few people to tell you what it is, so crazy, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. Leary said uh, of the trip that he learned more about the mind in those four hours than he did in the entire time in school. So Tim now knew what he wanted to do. He wanted people to feel this freedom that he had felt. So he made such a compelling case. Yeah, he's going to be a mushroom. He's going to be a mushroom. That's right. Now he's a mushroom man. So he told uh, David McClelland, the guy from Harvard, and uh, he approved what would be known as the Harvard Psilocybin Project, which is just great to hear. (laughs) So McClelland, McClelland asked Tim to write up a proposal, so Tim did. The purpose was to, quote, determine the conditions under which psilocybin can be used to broaden and deepen human experience, which persons are benefited by the drug and in which direction, and the methods of making the beneficial effects durable and recoverable without subsequent exposure to the chemical. So that's a mission statement for saying I want to let everybody trip. Yeah, yeah, no, this is, I've done that same mission, so I get it. That's what I wrote to my mother when she found out I'd taken mushrooms. I was like, Mother, you don't understand. Okay, I've tried to determine the conditions under which psilocybin can be used to broaden and deepen the human experience. So uh, I should have said that to my mom when she found my bag of mushrooms, but I just said uh, that's that's something from school. I thought they looked cool, and she bought that somehow. (laughs) Don't eat them. 
Uh, and now Tim was not the first Harvard <laughs> professor interested in altering his consciousness. In the 1890s, William James explained why he loved nitrous oxide, saying, quote, it stimulated the mystical consciousness in, to an extraordinary degree. But McClelland, which is true too, uh, McClelland gave them. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not nearly the same different. thing. Uh, so McClelland gave them the okay with a three-year research project. Now Tim's plan. Three years to three years to do mushrooms. Well, three years, three years to work to find out the effects of mushrooms. But yes. yes. Okay. Let me. Let me. Yes. Let me. Let me. Let much. me change what you just said. I'm going to change what you just said a little bit. Three years to do That's mushrooms. Actually, hearing it back, you're right. So they get a uh, they get a three-year mushroom research project contract. We signed three years with oh mushrooms. Uh, we got a three-year deal. It's pretty cool. So, uh, so Tim's plan was to proc- – What are you guys doing? Uh, we're working on the uh, effects of uh, war, intense war on the human mind and how it, uh, how it really debilitates uh, people. What are you guys working we're on? We're drawing a face we're, on we're- Ted's hand. It might be what? God. Oh, if, okay. Have you ever had an orange? It's the best. No. What? Yeah. I mean, I've had an orange. All right. Okay. I'm going to go back to my lab because you guys are a little weird. Lab. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so in order to procure the psilocybin, uh, he had to go to the, he had to send a letter to the Sandus labs in Switzerland. So Tim writes this fancy letter on Harvard stationery, and he started what, assume, what he assumed to be a lengthy process. They immediately sent back a big bottle of synthesized psilocybin that read, quote, psilocybin, research material, caution, federal law prohibits distributing without prescription, uh, end quote. And inside were tiny little pink pills that kind of looked like little Pepto pills, right? And this was from Switzerland? This was, it was processed in Switzerland. Yeah, it was synthesized in, in Switzerland, okay. the psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in mushrooms. So, so, they, so they took psilocybin and then they created a pharmaceutical psilocybin. Correct. Yes. It's quite a time in American okay. history. Um, <laughs> so when Dick finally joined Tim, it was time for him to have a taste, uh, Dick Albert. He had missed the first Mexico trip, almost crashing his Cessna on the way down. So on the night of the biggest snowstorm of the year, Dick took six pills and went deep. He saw himself from the outside in six. Well, I mean, it's synthesized psilocybin. So I don't even really know. It's hard for me to mentally know. But six is I mean, it's a lot. Who goes in? Yeah. Who who is like, I'm I'm, going to start doing this drug. How about you nibble? You nibble. You you know what I always say about drugs? You can always take more. Okay, so. So he takes six and he goes deep. He saw himself from the outside in various incarnations, all the jobs that he could have had. He thought he lost his body. He looked down to reassure himself, only to find there was no body. So when he finally comes out, he says he says he felt at peace with himself like he never had before. Quote, until that moment, I was trying to be a good boy, looking at myself through other people's eyes. That night, for the first time, I felt good inside. It was okay to be me. End quote. And uh, Dick was on such a rush that he raced over to his parents' place, who lived in the city, to shovel snow out of the driveway at 5 a.m. His father comes out pissed, and he's like, go to bed, you idiot. That's a quote. And he shouted, uh, and Dick just smiled, shoveled, and told his mother that he loved her. So. 
that's, that's right. mushrooms. That, that's exactly that's exactly what mushrooms, that's mushrooms are. That's uh, you described it to a T. A guy's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And you're like, "I, I love, love you, man, and I love your energy." Yeah, I'm gonna be done with this snow in a year. I'm snorting it. <laughs> Nick, stop doing that. So for the uh, for the Harvard sessions, Leary made sure that everything was just right. He specially prepared supportive settings. He thought set and setting was key. He preached that always. The set and setting has to be right. He would pass out the pills. Then he would walk around to check in on people, make sure they were okay. He would shoo away his kids. Yes, his kids are still with him um, and around hanging out. Wow, a good dad. Uh, well, what else are they going to do? The the their mom killed them. Killed well, and he so his replacement kinda... mother isn't there. But uh, so so word about the sessions start going around Harvard, and everybody wants in, which makes so yeah. much sense. If you heard, if you yeah, because everyone's here in that great college. Yeah, I mean, yeah. come on. So I mean, I, I yeah. Uh, so undergrads were forbidden from partaking. That was a rule. So they started with a group of 38. Tim and Dick would take it as well for the session. Uh, And then when they were done, Tim would request a description of their trip. Like, what did you expect? How did it live up to your expectations? And 95% of the 167 participants said it improved their lives for the better. Many similar takeaways. They felt their barriers had dropped down. They felt a welcome sense of oneness, stuff like that. But... At this time, Tim also starts using the pills for social gatherings and home with his friends and other professors. He's getting like he can get limitless supplies of these pretty much because eventually there's a lab that's a lot closer. And so they at a Sandoz lab, so they can just like drive there and just they can just get as much as they want. It's basically they're writing their own scripts for for psilocybin. And I, but I don't know if you've ever done mushrooms for like five days in a row, but they have it has less effect. It yeah. really starts to peter out if you keep doing it. Yes. Well, you know, to go against my earlier recommendation, there is the other phrase, which is you can always take more. Um, so there's that too. <laughs> I'm counterpointing myself there. Uh, so in 1961, Tim and Dick began working with the Concord State Prison to see what psilocybin would do to recidivism rates. Oh my God! This is what they should be doing. I give all the prisoners mushrooms. Yes. So okay. Yes. So the prison's Dr. Madison Presnell was opposed. Tim asked Presnell, the first black psychiatrist he'd ever met, to come over with his wife sometime and have some. And Presnell did have some. Now Presnell said, "Quote: When I close my eyes, I travel." End quote. And that, David, yeah. that is why it's called the trip or tripping because of when he said that. Is that yep. really? So, so this is, this is the warden of the prison? This is more like tripping? the prison psychiatrist, like in-house. And, but, he has, but he has control over whether or not they're going to take it, the prison psychologist? He has control over whether Dick and Tim can come into the prison and get, he's, he's basically like saying, no, I don't think this is a good idea once it's proposed. And so Tim's like, well, you know, why don't you try it and see if you think it's a good idea? So he the guy takes it. He says that he's like, Holy shit. And then literally the next week he's like, all right, let me help you pick some of the volunteers for this experiment. So he's like, yeah, he's turned around immediately. Um, but yeah, he came up with why you call it tripping. So then on March 27th, 1961, it starts, Tim gives 20 milligrams of psilocybin to three different prisoners. Tim himself took 16, you know, little for the doctor. And, uh, it didn't do much until they're in the room and it's awkward. And Tim opens up and he says that he's afraid of them. And then the prisoners admit that they felt the same way about Tim. 
And then they all start laughing <laughs> and then they have a much better time. And then so they repeat the experiment and it was not without some problems. Like in some sessions, hardened, well, in some sessions, hardened criminals would end up like blubbering wrecks or releasing emotions they never knew they had and like seeing other prisoners in positions they never thought they'd see them like hardened guys. There were some setbacks. Uh, like when this one bank robber became convinced that they had given him truth serum to force him to admit to his other unknown crimes. But, uh, <laughs> but eventually, eventually after, he tried, after he tried to kill one of the students, they talked him down, calmed him down, convinced him that they'd not given him truth serum, and the dude chilled out. Um, yeah, but we've all been there on a shroom trip. As well. You think that it's going to reveal stuff. I've often you. tried to kill people because they don't know about my thought crimes, without question. Uh, yeah, I think that happened. I mean, that like happened in Seattle one time. That's right. 90s. Um, so two years later, when Tim publishes his findings from the Concord Prison Experiment, he said that 73% of the group who had been released were still out. Um, so that is quite a good number. Wow. Uh, however, a re- That's huge. however, a report years later said that, quote, Leary, uh, Leary's report of a dramatic treatment effect was the result of a misleading use of the data. Whatever his motivations, Leary's misleading report about the success of the Concord prison experiment serve as an object lesson in what not to repeat. So, Okay, so I'm still going to go with the 73%. You know why? Because that that sentence you said was super complicated and long, and I prefer the 73%. This is America, and you're allowed to believe that. Joe said facts there, bro. You're welcome. Um, But yeah. Why the fuck not? It's called freedom. It was negligible, and there was like. Uh, there was like there there was a, a difference, but they said it was pretty negligible. But um, and they also said that like if you're going to check up on someone on the outside after prison, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay, there you go. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry, I had a little. Uh, apparently, when you, apparently when someone calls, it, oh, it, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, go ahead. Okay, so so yeah, so so essentially like. The numbers, the numbers he reported were obviously inflated, but there was also, um, you know, it, it's hard to calculate because if you do an experiment like that, you're going to f- have more care towards someone on the outside, and that potentially affects the recidivism as well. So sure. It's hard to tell. But anyway, yeah, I sure. still think a great idea and much better than just, you know, he also, the environment, li- the environment isn't great either because you're in a prison. So it's kind of a dark place. You oh, know what no. I mean? First time I did uh, shrooms, I was on death oh, row. Oh, that's cool. And uh, I Dude, and it was fucking how great. great. We were how, laughing so hard. How about hard. this? Your last meal, you're like, I just want a big bowl of magic mushrooms. Oh, my God. I want to go out tripping out of my fucking mind. Um, yes. <laughs> Why not? So uh, I, 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 just, I just can't get out of my head like they're tripping in a prison. Yeah. I mean, he tried to do what he could to make it like comforting, but yeah, you're dealing with cell walls. I mean, so it's kind of weird. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's not a great environment. No. They don't, people don't recommend that. Well, okay. So to counter that, and they did the uh, good Friday experiment where they gave psilocybin to 30 seminary students to see if the psilocybin could add to a quote, authentic religious experience. So, and they all killed each no, other. You're not allowed to finish this. <laughs> so, 
so would the setting, would the light and the stained glass windows, the figurines, all that religious stuff, would that influence the trip? And it started out okay, and it went pretty well, and there were some breakthroughs until one subject escaped and ran down Commonwealth Avenue yelling that it was the dawn of the messianic age and a thousand years of peace were coming. And uh, he was like shouting that at strangers, so they grabbed him, and then they calmed him down with a nice shot of Thorazine, and everybody was happy. Um, but others felt impacted by the setting as well. There is a confer- there is one guy who I was reading about who wasn't sure if he wanted to become a reverend or not, but after that experience, he was like, I'm 100%, and he's still a reverend to this day. Um, but it wasn't all work, anything but, right? Like I was saying before, Tim and Dick had these magic pills, and the people are starting to talk. Hey, hold on. Based on what you've described so far, it really isn't work at all. It's it's you going to different places and tripping with people. Well, the, but the, but he is doing he is doing well. The part of the reason that he would take the pills, like in the prison, he said, was because he didn't want them to think he was drugging them. He wanted to be like, "You can trust me," oh, right. which I get. And but I also well, you say that, but he's also super into but he's it. All, so but it's he's, not but he's, like he was. Like, but he oh. is also trying to help these. He definitely is trying to see what this does to people's consciousness. Does this alleviate their stress? And you know, like I said before, yes. a lot of people are saying that. So yes, but he is for sure. On the other side, outside of there, he's handing them out like they're Tic Tacs. I mean, he's going nuts, right? Like okay. he's having parties and he's, yeah. yeah. So so, so Tim and Dick had the magic pills, right? And so the parties are just getting kind of crazy. Like professors are coming over, famous people like Maynard Ferguson, the jazz trumpeteer, uh, Allen Ginsberg, Jack Kerouac. They're coming over and, and they're, you know, they're tripping. And the, the core group of people who are kind of surrounding Leary at Harvard, they kind of form this bond in this group. So... When the summer rolls around, they all thought that they would just head to Mexico and bring along a new experimental substance called LSD, which they also were getting from the Sandoz lab. Sandoz, they have oh, lots of lab. drugs. Yes, yeah, they would just. What's going on? What's going on with the guys making those drugs? What's going on in that lab? Well, what's the party like? Well, okay, so so Leary and Dick had learned of LSD's effect when it was given to them by this British researcher, but Tim was hesitant to try them at first. Now they already felt like they were kind of under pressure at the school because they're kind of watching them and they know that Harvard's not happy. Plus, LSD already had a bad reputation as it was used for the CIA in the CIA program, the MK Ultra Project. But that's another dollar for another day, David. But Tim tried LSD for the first time, and after it, he didn't speak. Uh, he didn't speak for five days. So he takes acid. <laughs> he doesn't speak for five days. But then, as, the, as soon as he starts speaking, he gives it the green light, and he's like, "Yes, we should be using this." Now, acid, David. Let's talk about acid, okay? Yes. Acid, went, lysergic yeah. acid dithylamide, had been around for a while. Over a decade earlier, in 1936 a young lab tech named Albert Hoffman first synthesized LSD while he was working at Sandoz. There's that name again. So he works at Sandoz, and what he's doing is he's studying a rye fungus called ergot, which could cause convulsions, fever, hallucinations, kill thousands of people, wiping out whole towns over history. There's tons of examples of it. We've actually actually discussed it previously on this podcast. What did we discuss it? That is in reference to yes. Uh, so it, it came up during the uh, witches that's what I had here too of Norway. So. so a lot of the witches of Norway were actually just people who were poisoned by that, yeah. and then they started gibbering and talking it about would, crazy stuff, and then people were like witch, and it's like no, 
that person just had a little poison. Yeah, seed and it would vary. It would vary. And when I was reading, it would vary. And like some people would have like really bad convulsions, but then other they would go to towns and like people would just be naked and dancing, and they'd be like, "Oh my god." Yeah. Yes, it's one hundred percent all over yeah. the place. Sometimes your limbs. Saint Anthony's fire, they say, was caused by Aragot and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, so okay. so basically, so he's working on that right off of this rye tripping stuff. So naturally, Albert made a few different compounds, uh, and he made a few different lysergic acid compounds. And on his twenty fifth and final attempt, he had made LSD twenty five, but nobody cared. So it sat on a shelf for five what? years. Yeah, nobody gives a shit. What does that mean? Nobody cared. Does that mean nobody tried it, or it, it just that, he just finished it? It and... means that yeah, it essentially means he finished it, and there was actually no real clinical use for it that was known. I mean, he didn't really know what he was making at the time necessarily. Like you're not like he's not like coming up with this and then and also, drinking it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. And Pink Floyd's not around. Either. There's a planetarium. There's so no planet. Uh, there's no planetarium. That's exactly right. Um, <laughs> but he believes in it. Right. So on a hunch, he's like, I'm going to study it again. So he's he's working with it in the lab a little. He's usually very tidy, but he gets a drop around 20 micrograms Uh-oh. on his skin. And he thought he felt oh, something, shit. but he wasn't sure. Right. Like he was like he felt weird, yeah. but he wasn't sure. But then he's like thinking about it. He's like, I think it's from the LSDs. So on uh, April 19th, 1943, at 420 p.m., he asked his assistant to watch him ingest LSD. So he dilutes 250 micrograms of crystal in 10 cc's of water, and he notices that it's tasteless, quote, tasteless. At 5 p.m., he has an update in his notes, quote, beginning dizziness, feeling of anxiety, visual distortions, symptoms of paralysis, desire to laugh, end quote. And that is the last of the journal entries. <laughs> so, Yeah, one time I was on, I was on acid, and uh, I used to write stuff for the school paper, and I was... And there was an, one of the school paper editors was like, you're on acid right now? Come over to my house and write a story. And then he sits me in front of his computer and I start writing and I get about a paragraph yeah. in. And he's like, this yeah, it's sense. like, it's never, it's <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. It's never going to be like, that's, that's a good idea for like 10 minutes. Yeah. So he's like, you've got to take copious notes. And then like his last thing is he's like, I have a desire to laugh. Burn the notebook. Burn the notes. My last word is wow. <laughs> that's 31 O's. Um, so he, so he's the first person to ever take LSD, uh, but his day is just beginning. So he suddenly says, so this is the guy who discovered a new world. It, it's that he, it's the wrong, the wrong application of the term to, to Columbus. This guy discovered a new world. He, uninhabited too. So, uh, so he rushes out. He's like, I gotta go. He leaves. He rushes to get home. He's very freaked out. His assistant is following him and he gets on his bike. And what happens next is a bike ride for the ages, David. He sees, quote, kaleidoscopic, fantastic images surged in on me, alternating, variegated, yeah. opening and then closing themselves in circles and spirals, exploding in colored fountains, rearranging and hybridizing themselves in constant flux, end quote. So when he gets home, his assistant is with him. Albert is 100 percent. He's dying. He, his assistant is trying to calm him down, does not work. Quote, a demon had invaded me, had taken possession of my body, mind, and soul. I jumped and screamed, trying to free myself from him, but then sank down again and lay helpless on the sofa. The substance, which I had wanted to experiment, had vanquished me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I've had this trip also. (laughs) So have I. So have I. That's one of the ones, but this is the first, but this, what's so, it's the first guy ever. 
So it's just like he's like yeah, the first it's day, not like someone's like, hey man, you're having a bad trip. Someone's like, no, you are dying. You are absolutely right. dying, and you are dying yeah. fast. Oh no, it's happening to you. Like, well, this is forever. Yeah, and he took it, so he's like, I will forever be fighting a yeah, demon. He's like I killed myself. So uh, the assistant calls a doctor. The doctor goes next door. He gets Albert two liters of milk that Albert crushed. He just pounds milk on acid, and then the next morning. After all this, Albert woke up, and while he felt physically tired, he felt alert. And his breakfast, for some reason, tasted better, and the colors twinkled more. Because he he was still tripping. And that, David, is also why April 19th (coughs) is International Bike Day for Albert Hoffman's bike ride. Wait, what? April 19th, the day he took that trip bike ride, is uh, International Bike Day because of his... Wild and the government sanctioned that the United States government has, has uh, officially. I mean, have they sanctioned? Now they were, we had a hard time getting them. Have what? they? Have they sanctioned ever? I, I, I do not think it's America. I don't think it's sanctioned here. It's worldwide, but you can celebrate it in any know, way that you choose, Dave. I know Lindsey Graham is still trying to get that passed. Yeah, he's been a big proponent of that for a while. Yeah. Um, so Hoffman's discovery held much in store for Leary. Right. Tim and Dick started the International Federation of Internal Freedom or IFIF, or as I'd like to say, if if. And um, they started a new research facility. It would be a 36 room Catalina Hotel in Zihuataneo, Mexico. Oh, my God. It's like little dum-dum. I wanna, that's where I want to go. I want. Is it still there? I want to mm, go. You're going to have a tough time. See, hundreds of people applied. Thirty six were chosen as guests. And uh, here they could get away with all the stress, all the stress from Harvard, and they could take their psychedelics in peace. Now, just very quickly, the term psychedelic comes from the Greek psyche, delos, translated to mind manifesting, right? But this hotel is fully isolated, and it felt like it was, you know, it felt like research, but it was also total madness. You've got waves of hippies showing up, trying to get in the mix. People are doing drugs, having sex, going to the beach, having sex, openly smoking weed, having more sex. And yes, Dave, to answer your question, his kids were still with him, right? Now, can I ask you another question? Is there any sex? I didn't see any of that, but I wouldn't surprise me. I don't. Oh, no, sorry. So much sex. Yes. No, that I'm looking back. A lot of tremendous amount of force. Because I used to go. I used to go to an ass eating hotel there. In that same and sir, state. top floor. I'm sorry, bottom floor. <laughs> so, so they've just like they're just running a clinic at this hotel, uh, and the federales take notice, right? And the federales want them out, as did the newspapers. And then there's a headline in a newspaper one day that says, "Quote: Harvard drug orgy blamed for decomposing body," which was not true. You know but, what? But that happens. It's all, I mean, also that's a, like a well, thing. they knew that they wanted them to leave, so they see that headline and they're all like, "You know what? We should probably we should go. We should go. Should we go? Let's go." And so they leave. No, I wouldn't want to. They, they did. Left. They did. see. I I stay even though there's a decomposing body, or if it's just a lie, it's fake news. Is that what you're saying? It's fake news. The decomposing. Body? I don't doubt that a body was decomposing, but I don't think their orgy is to blame for it. Unless it was, unless it was, well, uh, how, unless, how hard, how, were you going to say how hard was the penis? How hard were they fucking? How hard were they fucking? No, I know the penis is hard. I know Excuse me? You're taking this in a crazy. I know the penis is hard. That's a, that's a crazy thing to say for the conversation we're having. You know that, right? I know the penis is hard. Okay. Um, so 
Well, and it's also partially it's also partially that it's summer. So they're just there for the summer. So they do have to go back to Harvard, right? Oh, well, it, there's bodies all over the place in you, the summer you, in Mexico. You have created your own fake news, sir. You may as well go to OAN with that story. <laughs> Head over to OAN. <laughs> it's also a hilarious thing to say uh, it, with the current state of America. No, I don't agree with that. But go ahead. Um, so Harvard began to monitor Dick and Tim, right? So rumors of them recreationally taking the drugs with students started to swirl. Faculty heard that Tim, like outside of the research, faculty had heard that Tim had been telling some of his, right, right, his right. student assistants if they weren't willing to try the drug, maybe they weren't open to doing this line of work after all, you know? So, Well, he's right. He's right. Uh, potentially, yes, but it's so early in the process that, you know, Harvard is like, hey, don't force kids to take your big pills, dude. Um, I would say after the first time that he tripped, that is no longer early in the process. After after the bike ride, I'd say we're past that. That was the that was the Stargate. Um, but it's other stuff yeah. too. Also complicating the situation was Dick's decision to take pills with an undergrad, and uh, which again was not allowed. So on uh, February twentieth, nineteen sixty two, the Harvard Crimson broke the story about all this that kind of opened the debate on campus. And then in oh, in sure. March, uh, they called uh, a meeting with Dick and Tim and a bunch of the faculty and the students were allowed to come. Uh, and they just kept insisting that LSD, uh, you know, was pretty imperative, that their work was justified. And, you know, Tim's being charming the whole time. Dick explained that uh, when he gave it to this undergrad, he gave it to him as a friend, not as a teacher. For some reason, sure. that wasn't good enough. <laughs> they didn't believe that. <laughs> So, uh, look, man, this student is my buddy. Yeah, right. Like, we're yeah, out. yeah. It's like, it's that's like a, a cop being like, no, I wasn't a cop then. I was a guy. It's just a guy. <laughs> um, I'm a dude, man. So, so yeah, so that excuse didn't fly. And, uh, the Crimson article accelerated the crisis because local newspapers started writing about it and the New York Times picked up the article. Oh. So now most people in America have not heard of anything like this. And now they're just reading about like kids taking hallucinogens at, at Harvard. And no one was really sure what the hell Tim Leary was doing anymore. Aldous Huxley succinctly put it by saying, quote, I'm very fond of Tim, but why, oh, why does he have to be such an ass? End quote. So oh, the guy's spreading a party around everyone. Now, now, now this one, America is just a party bummer where someone's having fun and um, they got to fuck it all up. Well, good Lord. I mean, we if if we're party bummers here, I mean, we've become narcs. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah, we do. So, we always do. So the outcome was that Dick was fired and funding for the project was yanked. But Tim was now beginning to wonder what was the ceiling on all of this. He began to envision leading a psychedelic revolution that would, you know, turn into some kind of spiritual awakening all by just taking LSD. And while Dick had been fired, Tim technically was not. He'd been neutered, but not fired. So one day, David McClelland, the man who hired Leary. Wait, what? Why isn't Tim fired if Dick is fired? Well, Dick's fired because he broke the rule. Dick gave it to an undergrad. Tim is still like under contract at Harvard. And they're like, well, he didn't break any rules. Like he's we don't agree with his project any longer, but we're not going to fire him. I mean, you're right. Like they could have easily just been like, both of you get out of here. But I mean, dude, they were taking like acid right. at Harvard. I mean, it's just crazy. The fact that Harvard was like, no, you, you, yeah, I agree. There's a weird line there for them for whatever reason. They ju they just went on an acid fucking trip to Mexico. Well, that was on that summer break, with... though, bro. You can do whatever you want on summer break, bro. Okay. Let the teachers let loose. 
Yeah, but it's still two p.m. Margarita. You're still hanging out with. You're still hanging out with other people from Harvard. You'd think that that would be. uh, Oh, and I mean, right? Wasn't it grad students? There's not. He doesn't take a lot of grad students with him. It's really more of like the the teachers and professors and stuff. But but when he is like when he is there, I mean, he's just changing the culture of Harvard psychology department so drastically because. These people who have yeah. spent their whole lives learning about this stuff are now like, holy shit. Okay. So anyway, so um, while Dick had been fired, Tim technically was not. He'd been neutered, but David McClellan, the guy who hired him, one day went to his secretary and asked where Tim was, and she said, quote, he's gone. Tim had, had headed to L.A. in March and left the students with a reading list. So may as well have been fired. <laughs> That's my boy. So. Fuck Yes. Just drop a reading list and go, all right, man, I'm going to the other so, post. What do you think? 30 books? You guys, is that good enough for you guys? I think it should be good enough. If, if you read them all, start going through them again. They're good second time around. Yeah. Cycle back. We'll talk about it when I okay. come back from, uh, well, I'm going to ride a dragon out to California now. So... Tim and Dick continue to focus on their research, right? They felt like they just scratched the surface. They're looking for a new spot where they can go and kind of pick up the Mexico stuff, but they can't find anywhere. Well, enter Peggy Hitchcock. Peggy had been in Mexico uh, with them and had a nebulous love life with Tim over the years. But Peggy was also rich, real rich, as in her parents were the founders of Gulf Oil Rich, right? So she just has tons of money. And her family owns this property in upstate New York called Millbrook, uh, the city of Millbrook. The house that they have there is uh, 2,500 square feet, 64 room mansion in a town of no more than 1,700. Has green lawns, has horses and stables. It just could not have been more perfect. So Tim rents it from her for $1 a year, which is... So, so I'm not uh, a huge real estate guy, but that's a really good. Deal. I don't. I'm not. I'm not into real estate either. But I. I don't know. It's a. I, to me, it's the market. It depends what the market's doing. Is it a bull? Yeah. Yeah. Is it a bear. <laughs> is it a kitten? That's I mean, right. I mean, is that even a market? There's so many questions. There's a lot of questions. Um. So Millbrook starts as an extension of the Mexico trip. Core group picked up right where they left off, but now they're even looser, right? So they would all trip together once a week. They would trip outside of that too, but once a week they would all trip together. And spouses were swapped like passing a dish at dinner. Tim slept with most of the women at Millbrook, and whoever he was dating would sleep with the men, or the men would sleep with the men, or the women with the women, or everybody together, whatever. Sexual fluidity on every level, right? And I can tell you're into it because one of your hands dropped out of frame. Um, it's not an accusation. It's an it's a comment. It's fine. I don't mind you doing I'm, that. I'm sexy. I don't mind you doing that. I'm sexing. I don't mind you doing that. So okay. So they're running Millbrook. You have a question, or you just want to show me your other hand? Okay. No. So, I'm just. I got I got this. Yeah, okay. Up. Sure. You're doing that. All right. Uh, artists and philosophers from all around come over there to trip. They want to study. They seek breakthroughs at Millbrook. Had many animals. They had dogs, cats, aardvarks. They eventually got a monkey, right? Who was eventually allowed to pretty much do whatever he wanted and maybe drowned. But either way, was he? Was he dosing? Was the monkey dosing? Dave, I swear to God. I would, if I had to bet, I would bet that the monkey had done acid. Hundred percent. I would be absolutely, and and I would, and I would honestly, I would put it like fifty fifty that someone dosed the the uh, armadillo. (laughs) Armadillo's little hellscape. Fifty fifty. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those animals. He gets on a bike. The armadillo just gets on a bike. It was an aardvark, but still, let's have fun. Um. (laughs) 
so, but still their goal remains, right? They want to change the world. They want to create a utopia and of course have sex, which they're doing. When they get bored, they would yeah, uh, yeah. try to escalate or change up the experiments they were doing. Again, they are still perceiving this like clinically, in, but it's becoming so weird, but they are still like, we're yeah. discovering something. We're doing stuff, you know? Yeah, no, no, they're uh, they're saying that, but it's just a it's just a fuck party with drugs. At some point, it would be nice to get a microscope involved in some of the studying. So, so they start to change it up, right? So that that leads to on Sunday nights they will pick two random names out of a hat, and then those two people will go off to the meditation house, aka the bowling alley, for a week alone. And there, you will form a bond with this other person. You'll take tons of acid. You'll probably have a lot of sex. And, but you are, but they'll leave like food out front. Like you are literally not allowed to leave uh, if your name is picked out of that hat. Okay. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Is it actually a bowling alley? It had a bowling alley. It was like the place okay. that had a, it wasn't like, a, it wasn't like a uh, Pickwick. Okay. So just, yeah. Now, now, so when the revolution comes, we have to find every house with a bowling alley. And those are the ones we burn first. After we bowl with their heads. We've got to do that bit. It's That's a right. good bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It's the classic. Um, and then, okay, so so then they change it up even more where they go to the third floor experiment. Now, the third floor experiment is basically if you wanted to get super freaky at night, you would just go to the third floor. There's multiple rooms, and you just kind of walk around and jump in on something. But if you go up there, and this is it's how, because you're doing something. This And this is how furries were. This is how, exactly. Thank you very much. Um, so Tim, over the course of this, his cycle, his lovers are cycling in and out. But, uh, when Nina von Schelbruch, uh, visited Milbrick for the big July 4th party, Tim was smitten. They took acid and within three days they were engaged, which is, I think enough time. Wow. That's actually really fast. No, I gotta say that's really fast. Did you hear me? Three days. They had three days they were engaged. And at the the same time, they say that. If you get uh, engaged that's a, that's within a long... the two to five day span, ninety eight percent of the time that marriage works out. Exactly. Thank. Exactly. Thank you. Okay. For a second, it sounded like you were being crazy. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. But but you both get fucked by about forty five dudes at a bowling alley, which is also on campus. All the meditation house, bro. Um, well, I'm calling it camp. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of learning. So they, so yeah, so they're engaged. So then they have their wedding at Millbrook in 1964. There's a large party after where they cut their wedding cake that was made by Dick, which had the Hindu deities Shakti and Siva screwing on top of it. And then, uh, sure. yeah, it's a regular cake. We had that at our wedding. Absolutely. We will again. Um, so Tim and Nina go on their honeymoon. They go to India. They take acid a lot. They fought most of the time, and they're divorced within a year. But uh, so I guess. Now that I that I didn't expect, I, didn't I thought this was going to be a long no. haul one. And they, because if you if you meet a lady in a bowling alley on acid and and get engaged her in three days, that's usually a fucking out of the park home well, run. Like that doesn't also, that usually doesn't go the sour. Trip, it just sounded so horrible. Like they're just he's just on acid the whole time, and she's just like she's just like ah, this is kind of crazy. She's like coming out of her haze, you know. So so yeah so. Yeah, yeah. worse than a year, a year. So Tim's honeymoon. Um, oh, wait, sorry. So while, while Tim was gone, Dick was in charge of Millbrook and he's running it. But again, he's like taking a lot of acid. And uh, at one point for three weeks straight, Dick and a group locked themselves in the meditation house, a.k.a. the bowling alley. 
And they took over 400 micrograms of LSD every four hours. So that's 2,400 micrograms a day, which is crazy considering an average tab in the 60s had around 200 micrograms on it. Um, So they're taking so much acid. But their tolerance is crazy. Right, but that's still fucking nuts. It's crazy. Dick would later say about it, quote, no one would ever believe what happened in that three weeks in that house, including us, end quote. And uh, <laughs> so one highlight. It's just amazing that someone someone was like, you know, what we should do we should take a shitload of this stuff in a very small time. Period. Well, they're like they're, and everyone else is like, yeah, they're like, man. they're like they're like Jeff Bezos with money like they nobody has mm-hmm. this shit really. And they just have tons of it. So they're just like, let's go. But yeah, as, I mean, obviously, like, there's very little uh, studying going on at this point. But I bet you in their head, they're like, we're going to do an experiment where we're going to just take 2,400 micrograms. Um, but uh, one of the highlights from, this, from the three weeks was Dick was jumping out of the, the second story of the window thinking he could probably fly. You got a squeaky chair yep. up there? Yeah, that was my fault. I moved. I shouldn't so, have. I apologize. So he jumps out of a window thinking he can fly and breaks his leg. Which is stereotypical, but but this is the first time I think someone tried to fly on acid, maybe. Yeah, and the other thing is, is like, how are you going to know if someone can fly or not unless someone tries it? Dude, imagine if he started you know I mean? flying. Let's get out Imagine there. if he started flying. You'd be like, yeah. oh my God, this Thank dude you. took a chance. Um, That's right. So Tim's honeymoon with Nina had ended, and his with Dick was next. When Tim returned, he was upset, upset at the state of Millbrook. We, quote, went from a community of scholars and scientists to a playground for rowdy omnisexuals, end quote. Now. Oh, but you know why? It's because you introduced. Acid. It's because you created it. Yeah, it's I it's totally a crazy gripe, I think. So now Dick, by default, had been raising Tim's kids, Jack and Susan, and by all accounts was like a better uh, parent than than he was. And yes, obviously, his kids were still with him. Yeah. Oh, the, the, oh my Sorry, God. I should have mentioned that. Yeah, of course. You know what? I'm, a, I'm just going to go on a limb here and say they're all probably really great parents. Well, Dick Dick did seem to be doing a good job, honestly. Like, he was trying. I mean. Come on. I, no, it's crazy, for sure. Yes, for sure. I'm not. No. But he's, like, crying. <laughs> so so anyway, so so Tim Tim comes back, and he sees, you know, he, and he accuses Dick of trying to seduce his son, Jack, who's now 15. Now, up until this point, Dick openly admitted that he liked young men now more than anyone, but both he and Jack, when mm-hmm. accused of this, said that was for sure a bridge too far. Um, but Tim, truthfully, always had an odd take on being gay, possibly stemming from Tim being bisexual. Now, Dick said he felt that this accusation came from Tim being, quote, upset about my homosexual scene, unquote. So in 1965, Dick left Millbrook, which is just sad. Okay, there were a, a lot of variables going on sure. there. Uh, uh, the the whole thing sounds like a bit of a shit show. Yes. Um, was Jack getting laid? Oh, I honestly would. My guess would be yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, but yeah, yeah. but everybody is like, th- there's just was Jack was Jack doing acid? Yes. Fifteen. Yes. He was doing. Yes, this. they they when do they know, do we know when he started? When they were, huh? Do we know what age he started doing? They acid? would start. They honestly would give some of them when they were like in Mexico would give their kids acid, small doses, but super early, like super early. Okay, so this is what I've been this I've been talking about that we start uh, a preschool, mm-hmm. uh, adult preschool, 
Dude, how great would it be? Because it would look like Latter-day Saints, but it's LSD. So they're like, that's right. You go learn about the Lord. You walk into LSD school. You're like, wait a minute. Are this this Latter Saints Day? Yeah, that's right. Drink your sacrament. Honey, what happened today? The ground opened up and I saw the devil and God in a giant canyon in the earth. We're all represented by a oneness of interconnectivity and we're led by a galactic jellyfish of positive love. Oh my God, that says LSD, okay, doesn't it? Oh my God, that is egg <laughs> on my face. Um, so yeah, so Dick leaves, Dick leaves Millbrook in 65. So as one relationship ends, another begins on May 1st, 1965, Tim meets former model turned beatnik Rosemary Woodruff at an art expo. And Tim told her that they had been, quote, married in several thousand forms, end quote. So her first night at Millbrook, when she finally... Can we just say, this is a... If people have been talking about white privilege, but this is this is a pretty good example of white privilege. <laughs> I think that's very fair to say. Uh, so her first night at Millbrook, Tim and her take acid. They sleep together in the meditation house, a.k.a. the bowling alley. And the next day, they painted triangles on Millbrook's house to signify a sexual union. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, you that's don't need what to I do with my yeah, you wife. Need, the first you don't need to tell anybody. Yeah. The first time you fuck a lady, you should put, put, put three triangles outside. That's how you let the neighborhood know. That's right. Good news, everyone. That's right. We've, we've been doing fucking in here. We're porking. We are porking one another. As you can see by the three pork oh, triangles. Look at, the jo- look at Mr. Johnson. He's been fucking. He's got triangles on Hello, his Barbara. Really fucked the shit out of her, didn't I? Woo. <laughs> look at those triangles. I think I might fuck her again later. You think of that? Doop, doop, doop. Put more tri- put more triangles up if you Oh do. no, look, they're getting divorced. A rhombus. Um <laughs> That may be the first rhombus joke on <laughs> yeah, a podcast. I bring the rhombus comedy, bro. Uh I do rhombity. Anyway, uh, I apologize for that last part. Tim decided that he yep. and Rosemary, now that they're a couple, they need to take the kids on a trip together to the Yucatan. So on December 22nd, 1965, they're on their way to Mexico oh. via Laredo at the Texas border. So as they approach, Tim, like a good dad, orders all the grass out the windows. So Jack yep. gets rid of his, but Susan did not. And when they pull up, oh. what are the odds? The border agent is a Mexican cop who was involved in deporting Tim and the the gang from the hotel Catalina in 63. So the cop recognizes Tim and he's like, you're not allowed to come into Mexico. And Tim's like, no, I can, which he can, but they're like, we'll sort it out tomorrow. So he has to go back. So in order to go back, he's pulling a rare border U-turn. So he goes into Mexico to come back through America to make his U-turn. But suddenly he realizes, Oh shit, we're going through American customs. So with grass. with grass. So quickly, Susan, his daughter, takes the small amount of pot she had and she puts it in her panties, right? And then they find that and they find a little, uh, like some other marijuana. They, I like how you just say they find the the pot in the panties. Well, we don't need to go Like, through. that's just something you just... <laughs> By the way, that's... Like, man, that's you telling the story. And then she puts it in her panties... And then you cut to, and they find Well, in the movie, in the movie, right, you just see the cop go, what about your panties? And then you cut to outside, and they're like, (laughs) they're already arrested. He's like, I can't believe they found it. Um, No, they're all arrested. And uh, 
because they found it, and they're charged with smuggling marijuana. Shouldn't just she be? Shouldn't just she be arrested? No, because there was actually so they found some more too. Like um, Rosemary oh. had a little in like a kit. Like so, they just they, it was all it was nothing. They found like very small. I, I don't remember exactly how much it was, but I think it was like a half ounce total. So it was not right. a ton of grass. So um, they're charged with. Uh, uh, transporting smuggled marijuana, smuggling marijuana, and a failure to pay the federal marijuana tax, which was the U.S. Act that taxed the sale of cannabis, which I tried to kind of figure out what it is. And to me, all I can say is it sounds like kind of like the medical marijuana system we had for a while, where if you carried pot, you had to have some sort of you had to pay you had to pay a fee in order to have some cannabis on you. But well, it's just a way to, like, make it double illegal. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. So they get, yeah. so they essentially get the, the, they get all three of those charges. So, uh, and the newspapers have a field day because now, you know, Tim is now obviously known. So on March 11th, 1966, Tim pled not guilty. His defense was that he needed to smoke marijuana for his work and for his religion. So, uh, at his trial, Tim called a Hindu monk who confirmed that Tim had quote, been initiated in the banks of the Ganges into a Bengali sect that used ganja as a sacramental aid to meditation End quote. So that's actually what I meant. That's my that's good. <laughs> I just every my game. Well, every yeah. time he is in a courtroom, it is pure comedy. Um, so it's just it's just like it's it's just like how you would write a funny judge scene. So eventually, the judge asked Rosemary simply, "What is this religion called?" And Rosemary said she didn't know. And the judge said, "Quote: You mean you your your religion doesn't have a name yet?" And she said, quote, we have yet to name it, Your Honor. And he was like, OK. <laughs> Can we just fucking work up to the name right now? It's about a feeling. It's about, uh, you know, me being at one with the earth and, the name. and nature and, and the other name. people. Going to need a name. It's just make up a name. We don't have just one. Make up a name. Frank. Huh? It's called Frank. Frank. OK. Oh, Frank. Oh, oh. Someone's getting food. Feeding time. Feeding time. So Tim's case goes to the jury, and within 30 minutes, he's found guilty. He posts bail. He appeals the case Ah. on the basis that the marijuana tax is uh, the marijuana tax act is unconstitutional, and eventually that case heads to the Supreme Court. He's right. So while he awaits the conclusion, the media begins reporting heavily on LSD. It becomes a thing now. Uh, it's the thing that politicians and law enforcement use to get promoted. Time, quote, an epidemic of acid heads. 10,000 students at U of California have tried LSD. Life, quote, turmoil in a capsule. One dose of LSD is enough to set off a mental riot of vivid colors and insights or of terror and convulsions, end quote. And there's even one anonymous anecdote. I mean, yeah. There's one anonymous anecdote that's printed from a mother who says she stayed at Millbrook and admitted that she would put a little acid in her children's orange juice at breakfast and let them have a day of, quote, freaking out in the woods. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's just good that's, Dosing your kids well, without their knowledge. And even if that you're going to admit it, why would fucking... you say freaking out? Why wouldn't you be like experiencing nature <laughs> on a higher level? You know, you're like, let them go freak out in the woods for a couple hours. Uh, well, I would give my kids a little bit and then they would go outside and scream at trees. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's it's terrible, but it's also just like, man, like but when I was a kid, a mother, my friends, my mother's friend, I didn't have a friend's mother at that time. My mother's friend when I was like three, 
gave me like sips of spoonfuls of vodka at like dinner and oh, yeah. I got hammered and had to go to the hospital. Yeah. I had the same thing. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I drove obviously I was fine to drive, but, but yes, but imagine that with you can't ath- handle your booze. Huh? No, I mean, yeah, that's insane to, you shouldn't dose anybody who doesn't know they're being dosed. Ari Shafir. And also, uh, especially kids, like kids, you really shouldn't dose kids. I just I think, feel like I think, they're not. I think we can. I think we can. Put, I'm going to be in the middle on this one. I see you. Let's draw a line yeah. somewhere. Let's draw a line somewhere. It's there, and it's with dosing kids. Uh, so Tim is now a counterculture celebrity. He's launched the new acid culture of the '60s. In September 1966, Tim did a Playboy interview that reads like a wild infomercial for acid. "Quote: In a carefully prepared, loving LSD session, a woman will inevitably have several hundred orgasms." Playboy. Several hundred? Leary. Yes, several hundred. Uh, End quote. He also claimed that men could have 20,000 orgasms. Another quote. The fact is that LSD is a specific cure for homosexuality. We've had many cases of long-term homosexuals who, under LSD, discover that they are not only genitally but genetically male, that they are basically attracted to females. End quote. Obviously, false and very gross statement. But the, the, the interview is totally insane. But that is obviously a quote where you're like, holy shit, like this is I mean, and that, again, stems in some bastardized way from what he experienced with Dick, where he just like. It's it's very bizarre, you know, I don't really know. Sorry, I didn't hear anything after 20,000. <laughs> Jesus, talk about dehydrate. I mean, talk about crushing a Gatorade, right? Why would you? Oh, want it's that? like that would you would be. That that, this like, is how the person who's having twenty thousand orgasms is going. Oh my god, please! Oh stop! Oh fuck! Oh shit! Fuck! Oh my god, no! Oh, I'm out of cum! Oh, I'm out of cum! Oh, stop it! Oh god, I want to call! Oh no! I want to watch TV! Oh god, can I eat something? Oh, I'm coming! Oh fuck! Oh god, I'm jizzing! Oh god, look, let's just please! Oh god, I gotta go to bed! Oh god, I'm coming again! Oh my god, I'm coming so hard! Holy shit! Fuck! Oh my god! Okay, look, look. All I'm asking is for. Oh god, look, I gotta go to the DMV tomorrow. Holy shit, my license! It's expired. I'm coming. I gotta go there. I'm coming so hard i just i'm fearing if i have to oh fuck if i have to go in line and wait oh shit if i have to go in line and wait that long holy shit that's good i'm gonna who knows what's gonna holy fuck i don't th- oh my god oh shit i don't think i could oh fuck i take a picture oh coming oh ha, ha. like your life is hell that's like weeks i would not that. take acid if someone said you can do it <laughs> It's really the worst set. Like point. a tales. You will have twenty thousand. It sounds like a tales from the crypt pot plot line. <laughs> okay, so the trouble at Millbrook continues. One night, Rosemary and Tim had just smoked DMT when the cops come, and they're led by lunatic G. Gordon Liddy. Now, Liddy says, "Quote: Word was that at Leary's oh. lair, the panties were dropping as fast as the acid." End quote. Which to me doesn't sound like law enforcement speak, huh? Is he saying that like that in a bad way, or yes. is he saying that that's a? Yeah. Okay. So, so in 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 G. Gordon Lee's world, women wanting to fuck is a really bad thing. In G. Gordon, yes, yes, yes. I think that's a fair assessment of what he's saying. He's a, okay. but you know, it's like the dragnet cop heads are like, you shouldn't be fucking. That fucking's for Mike and Bibies. Yeah. Imagine if they came yeah, on the oh, night totally. where Tim was yes. having 20,000 orgasms. They'd have been like, Jesus Christ. This is our nightmare. <laughs> Don't stand in. Don't stand in front of him. Good I God. know what he's not in possession of. So uh, 
So they're excited when they, they bust in and they find that Rosemary has some weed in her bedroom until it turns out to be peat moss. But uh, Lydia and his guys keep coming. And okay, hold on. Is it in a bag? Like, what's happening? I think they just found it like on a windowsill or something, and they were all freaking out. They were like, "Oh no, wait! I, I don't even know why I brought that up." She was walking through the forest. She's on fucking yeah. acid. She sees peat moss. She picks it up. She walks around with it for nine oh, yeah. hours, and then she brings that, it back. That to house the was full of flowers that were once important. <laughs> <laughs> Without question. <laughs> Um, so, so, but eventually they do find some weed and they, they, uh, they, and by the way, when they showed up, they had just smoked DMT. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that. Oh, well, yeah. So they just smoked DMT. So they find the peat moth, they keep coming back and eventually they do find weed and Tim's arrested. Two others are arrested, but that's not the last that we're going to hear of our man G Gordon Dave. Anyway, in May, Tim was called to the Senate hearing on narcotics. The social change that LSD had brought was undeniable and Tim was at the helm. Now, he's sitting in front of the Senate panel. Now, Tim looks like, well, he looks like a guy who has been taking acid all the time who had to put on a suit. Um, he looks just a little crazy. He admitted to taking acid over 3,000 times. And when asked to describe the effects of LSD, he said, quote, you might say I was sitting there and I began to dissolve. Every cell in my body began to break down. I was afraid I would become a puddle on the floor. Then I saw a huge serpent coming up and the serpent swallowed me. I went into the serpent's stomach, and later I was excreted, and I exploded, end quote. So that's in front of a Senate panel, um, which would be the great, if I could watch that on TV. That sounds like a tough hearing. Oh, I would be like, I think this isn't in TV, and I'm on acid. So... So Ted Kennedy begins to badger Tim, and Tim eventually caves, and he starts saying stuff like, quote, I feel constructive, legisl- constructive legislation is obviously very badly needed, end quote. And he's making sure that he, uh, they're making sure he's heard him correctly. A senator says, quote, don't you feel LSD should be put under some restriction as to its sale, its possession, and its use? Leary, quote, definitely. Um, so everyone's kind of like, that seems a little weird for this guy. And Rosemary is watching from her jail cell, uh, where she was put for not testifying against him at his last trial. And she said, quote, he was being berated by Ted Kennedy. I mean, lambasted. I kept waiting for him to say something about our religion. Nothing, not a word, end quote. So uh, what? Well, so she, she the religion well, from before, like he's like, we have a religion, which they kind of do and yeah. they kind of believe. But he just in front of the Senate, he just totally folds. He caves. He's just not the guy who is like, hey, I did a bunch of research on this and there's tons of breakthroughs. And, you know, these what you're seeing is a, a, a culture of people who want to expand their minds because they're they're so bored by what the society offers. Like, he doesn't say anything like that. He's like, no, for sure. You got to be careful. You got to legislate it. You know, like he's just not pushing back. It's it, you don't even know why the hell he went to it, honestly. Like right. he probably just for press because the dude did love press. So anyway, so he's drawing more heat. And soon after that, he said, quote, if you take the game of life seriously, if you take your nervous system seriously, if you take the energy process seriously, this is at an event, you must turn on, tune in and drop out, end quote. And everybody goes crazy. Everybody goes crazy. Yeah. They can't figure they just are like he's telling everyone to drop out of school. The idea that Leary is telling people to drop out is so disturbing for the culture in America. But now Tim officially is associated with a slogan, truly. Right. So it's parodied. Squirt told customers to, quote, turn on to flavor, tune into sparkle and drop out of the cola rut. 
Reverend Billy Graham had a sermon called, quote, turn on Christ, tune into the Bible, and drop out of sin, end quote. And in Mag Magazine... Uh, that is not what that means. In Mad Magazine's psychedelic issue, they said, quote, tune in, turn on, and drop dead, end quote. So... On, a, on November 11th, 1967, Tim and Rosemary were married in Joshua Tree. Samu, an Apache medicine man who was, quote, a shaman and veteran of thousands of peyote nights, end quote, was there to read and perform the vows. But sadly, Samu was way too fucked up to perform, and he wasn't the only one. Leary himself was on so much mescaline, he was ill. Other guests are dying from various drugs all around. Rosemary later said, quote, my wedding march was the symphony of retching, end quote. And as they prepared to leave, Samu is finally kind of sobered up, and he's able to do the vows near the car after the ceremony for them. Uh, this is what you don't want the guy uh, doing your wedding saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too fucked up. Oh, hold on. Well, also, hold on. Me... if you go on the website and it oh, says he's had a thousand it. peyote nights, you're like, this guy can handle life. But instead, he's like, I took too much too nice. Yeah. I am I, really not in a good yeah, spot. Oh, we fucked up. We shouldn't have had it in a bowl. <laughs> so, so as Tim's Supreme Court case looms, he goes on a speaking tour. Leary hits college campuses doing wild performances using variations of media entitled The Death of the Mind, attempting to bring the LSD trip experience would cause an uproar. Tim, quote, political militants who would sometimes denounce me for distracting young people from armed revolution and sometimes old people who would shout that I was the Antichrist, a devil, a new Hitler seducing the young. It was all good theater, end quote. Um, so at this point, Tim and Rosemary move into the Brotherhood of Eternal Love Ranch. This is a group of young hippies who smuggled and distributed a lot of the drugs for the 60s. They would hide weed in hollowed out surfboards. They would sneak hash from Afghanistan and VW bugs. At the Newport Pop Festival, they were allowed to sell fruit juice. Instead, they decided to dose a thousand attendees with acid. And so that's obviously not what they wanted at the what? pop festival. But they what? A thousand? Yeah, they're just they just were allowed to sell like fruits and juices and they just were like they just put acid in a bunch of the fruit juices. Holy so tons of people just shit. drip their balls That's up. Insane. Actually also how they found out was a cop drank one. And then they said like twenty minutes oh. later over the loudspeaker, they just had figured it like the cop was like, I'm on acid. I'm on acid. <laughs> um, so basically the By the way, that's a great idea. <laughs> it's marketing. So basically the Brotherhood took a lot of Tim's big talk and what he was saying, and they were kind of putting it into action. They loved acid, but they loved Tim more. I mean, maybe not more, but they loved Tim. And he'd kind of become their default guru. They also had made Orange Sunshine, which is the first real distributed LSD oh. tab. So they kind of brought yeah. it to the streets. Now, <clears throat> while at the ranch, Tim got the Supreme Court's verdict when news trucks rolled down the ranch drive and asked him, quote, how does it feel being free, end quote. Tim realized he was acquitted of the border charge, and he told reporters he was, quote, was high and happy for ourselves and the thousands of young people in prison for psychedelic crimes, end quote. And then on the fly, with zero heads up to anyone, Tim announced that he would, quote, run for the highest office in the state, end quote. Yes, Timothy Leary was now running Ooh. for governor against the awesome dude, Ronald Reagan. So... Oh so he just God. on the fly announced that everyone and people who like followed him are like, what the fuck is this? What is his plan? Like he's well, my your campaign, your pan, what's the campaign slogan? Just is it tune in? Well, or is it like, well, that's a great question, Dave, because he had his image put on zigzags for promotion, but he did feel like he needed a slogan. <laughs> and so when they're spitballing slogans, Rosemary flippantly said, come together in May that year. 
Tim was with John Lennon in New York for the bed-in, and when Lennon heard the slogan, he oh wrote Come God. Together that day and handed it to Leary for the campaign. So, All right. Let's also just put out there how much I hate the bed-in. <laughs> the bed uh, man. Uh, the the bed-in is the worst. That is a peak hippiedom. I fucking hate the bed-in it's, so it, it's It's what, what did you do to protest before Twitter? So we're going to change the world by getting in a bed. <laughs> hey, what about this? What about fuck off? Uh, have you, have you ever done that? the pizza in? That's where I'm just going to crush pizzas <laughs> until you figure a bunch of this shit out. But I'll be here. So Tim gets even more good news when the Millbrook marijuana charge is dropped eventually, partially from lack of evidence, partially from the judge being sick of the defense tactic and bringing in religious person after religious person. The judge said, quote, if I see one more Swami coming through that door, I'm going to throw him out the window, end quote. So uh, the case was thrown out like a Swami out a window. Now, he's having a pretty good run, Leary, but his luck is about to run out. On December 26, 1968, Timothy Leary was driving with his wife, Rosemary, and his son, Jack, when he made a wrong turn. A curious cop pulled them over. And you know how these police are. Just want to see what... Okay. Let's let's drop the phrase curious Curious, cop. Just a curious, innocent little boy cop. I picture him as an (laughs) eight-year-old. A little cop. I picture cop junior. Um, a profiling cop. Can I ask you how, how Larry is making money at this point? Well, he, I mean, he's making a lot of money at speaking events. Like he is, I I mean, there's a number of ways he's, people are giving him money, uh, at Millbrook. They also started to kind of sell weekends where like when they didn't give people drugs, but they would be like, come have a tripped out experience. But money for them was always an issue. Uh Like they're always, you know, like when they're done at Millbrook, like they're 50 grand in debt, he's got legal bills. So money is totally an issue, but also he's granted a lot of favors from people because he's a celebrity. So like where he goes, he pretty much lives like a King and, you know, eats for free and all that. So, um, so he pulls him over. The cop says he smells marijuana and he finds two joints, mostly smoked. Now they were small, but the impact was large and they may have been planted. Um, obviously the weed was planted, but the weed joints might've been planted in the car. Right. So but we don't know. That's what Tim said right away. He's like, oh, that wasn't in there. That wasn't in there. Um, Anyway, the felony was enough to void Tim's run for governor, which is tough, but it would have a bigger impact. That's a felony. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Okay. Um, Actually, maybe it might not have been then, but I I believe it. I mean, yeah, it's. Yeah, I think it might have been. So so when the trial for the Laguna Beach arrests uh, happened, Tim began to take the stand and even cross-examine himself. Now, the courtroom was packed with hippies at this point because he's so famous, so much so that the judge said, quote, if there is a humming session in here, there's going to be a lot of people humming in jail, end quote. Can I also just say the smell must have been horrible? Uh, uh, patchouli was in the air, for sure. We can agree on that. Oh, fuck. We can agree on that. I... I mean, if you if you told me I had to smell patchouli every day, I would kill myself. Well, how about this? The I next, like I'm I, I think I'm we've out. got you know. There's a new movement now, and it seems pretty deodoranted. So hopefully, we've learned from our path. Hopefully, <laughs> we're not asking we're not asking for a bath. We're just asking for a spritz. Um, but the trial's also crazy because of Jack Leary. Jack Leary kept spinning into the courtroom's carpeted floor, so much so that Judge McMillan had to warn him. Jack defended himself by saying he was wiping it into his pants. The judge replied, quote, he's... <laughs> the, judge, the, judge repl- 
the judge replied, quote, I'm sorry. The judge replied, quote, he's missing his pants, end quote. Their attorney argued that Jack was fitting into his hand. The judge ordered the bailiff to get Jack's Kleenex, which Jack then began to chew and made eat. One of the lawyers said, quote, in the course of that trial, he must have eaten three boxes of Kleenex. One time his dad went to stop him and he slapped him right in the face, right in the middle of the court, end quote. It's, it's hard. It's hard to believe this kid was raised on ass. It truly but. is like the, it's very the kids he did totally fucking damage. I mean, it's crazy. So I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ, the kid's just like, oh, by the way, our son is feral. So so I don't know how that works in the yeah. courtroom. But uh, Jack lives in a no rules well, world. Well, they are like he, it's he he doesn't have rules in such a way that he eats he eats paper. They're like he's he's da- I mean he's he's just damaged. I mean it's just fucking he's yeah. damaged. Um, I don't know if you've ever met someone who has done too much acid, but I and have. So young and shit, and it's not great. So so even the strategy the strategy was to make Tim look like he had no idea about the pot, but that didn't work. The jury found found all three of them guilty. Leary had the book tossed at him by the Reagan judge. Tim was sentenced to 10 years and a $10,000 fine. There's a lot of like, I'm not sure. The sentence was exorbitant. It was around that. Other places say it was like 20 years. But uh, he he also, you know, uh, basically he's going to jail for so little, for two joints for 10 years. Um, but Tim, David. I mean, look, but this is also a time when they could put you in jail for life if they wanted um, for really any you can kind get of, put in jail for marijuana for there are people in jail right now marijuana for life eighth 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 of pot oh, I don't, jail for life I don't that's true that. yeah no this country so the strategy was to make it seem like tim had no idea right oh i already said that so he gets 10 10 years ten thousand dollar fine but tim would not serve the 10 years his fate would be much much stranger because on january 20th 1969 richard nixon was sworn in as the 37th president of the United States of America. And that concludes our greatest president. David. I can't believe it's only part one. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Stay tuned for part two next week. That's right. Will Tim and the gang figure it out? (laughs) Tune in next week. This is epic. All right, I'm going to turn it off. And Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow September 13th, London September 15th, Dublin September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham September 20th, Bristol September 22nd, and Cardiff September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th, Adelaide November 16th, Canberra, November 17th, Brisbane, November 18th, and then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, This is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. Uh, Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. 
It's basically a call and an advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 